Well, good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. Thank you for being in church this morning, and I'm honored to be here in Illinois. I don't think I've been to Dorisville Baptist Church before in Harrisburg. I don't think, but uh, I have been in other places, of course, in Illinois and southern and northern all, all around. But I'm honored to be with you today. Thank you for the uh, introduction earlier. Uh, I do live in um, Franklin, Tennessee. I sometimes struggle to remember where I live, other than the Atlanta airport, it seems. I go through there so much, travel a great deal, but I'm honored to be here. My wife, Dale, is not with me today, but she is back in Franklin, Tennessee. We have some house guests this weekend. I got to see them yesterday, and so she's there with them. And I do have three daughters, one of whom is deceased. I have two little girls that live in... Uh, the Greenville, South Carolina area, and I have uh, four grandsons, and yes, one little granddaughter, one year old, so Princess arrived one year ago, and uh, she can have whatever she wants, whenever she wants for the rest of her life, uh, on all honesty, uh, because I waited a long time for her. Truth is, the boys can have the same thing, actually. But I am a proud uh, husband, father, grandfather. I do have son-in-laws. I don't know their names, actually. Uh, never got around to that. Never thought they were worthy of me knowing their names. Uh, so I just point at them and say, boy, or uh, gooberhead if I'm not happy, or uh, what's his name? Would you come over here? I just, I'm that way about son-in-laws. Uh, because they're not worthy of marrying my daughters. That's just the way it is. Actually, though, they did, I think, have a part somehow in giving me some grandchildren. So for that, I tolerate their existence. I don't know their names, and that will probably never happen, but um, I do tolerate them somewhat. Someone asked this summer, did you have a great time at, you know, with your family this summer? Yep. Were the son-in-laws there? I said, don't know, don't care. They're like vague apparitions that walk around sometimes. When I'm there, I'm focused on my wife, my girls, and my grandchildren. And I know I sound terrible, but you just have to get over it. That's the way it is. Uh, that's just the way it is. But anyway, that's just a personal word. Professionally, I want to tell you how much I appreciate your church, your pastor, Dwayne, his wife, and all that you do to support the work of the Lord. I get a front row seat to see what God does all over this world. Uh, I don't mind telling you I travel a great deal. Uh, this past week, for example, I'm not sure exactly everywhere I was, but I do know on Tuesday I went morning, noon, and night through every uh, major disaster relief area in Houston, Texas to see what is happening there to try to keep people focused. I saw an announcement in your bulletin about disaster relief. Please know that I went to one particular area, looked like a nuclear bomb had gone off. It was just utter devastation. And I looked out and I saw a disaster relief unit from Michigan. And I saw another disaster relief unit from Utah, Idaho Baptist Convention. So from all over the nation, people are pouring in to give assistance. 80% of the homes flooded there had no flood insurance, so those people are struggling. And we have seen many, many instances where our disaster relief people show up at someone's house and they say, we thought God had forgotten us. Because you see, the bills keep coming, the house payments keep coming. 
even though their house may be inhabitable. And so praise God that Southern Baptists are the first on the scene. And you need to know we will be there long after everybody else and the TV cameras have gone. We will be there helping rebuild lives of people. We don't ask what their faith is when we go in to help them. We help them in Jesus' name no matter what color, no matter what status of life, no matter what faith they might be. But we're going to tell them about Christ when we're there and share the good news of Christ. We never make one person, never does a person have to accept the Lord to receive aid. But we're now feeding thousands. Pray for our work in Florida. Pray particularly for the work in, in uh, Puerto Rico and in uh, the Virgin Islands. Uh, we have massive units headed there now. We were not able to get in there. The government would not allow us in until Thursday of this past week. But they've now given a green light and we're taking massive help to Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands. So pray for them. And know that your part of being a part of Southern Baptist Churches goes to help support that work. We had uh, our head of our um, national, our North American Mission Board was in the White House uh, a couple of weeks ago. And there with uh, Salvation Army and Red Cross, the three largest disaster relief organizations on this continent, are, are those three, and we are one of those. And so praise God for that, and just know that that worked. And he got a lot of questions because he said, 100% of your gifts go to disaster relief. People said, well, that's not possible. Well, yes, it is possible. When you give to disaster relief, 100% goes to disaster relief. Well, what about administrative costs? Well, those are paid for by the cooperative program that we give to every week that comes through our building and goes out to the mission field. But the administrative costs are taken care of by our churches. And when people give, 100% goes straight to disaster relief, helping men, women, boys, and girls with the gospel and with the good news and with a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. I get a front row seat to see those good things. And I just wanted to tell you, God is at work all around the world. At our home, I told you we had house guests there. Uh, young lady and her boyfriend. So I was kind of checking him out to tell you the truth, you know, because she's kind of like a daughter to me, so I'm looking at him, just playing. But she is from Germany. She lives and does a ministry in Columbus, Ohio now, but she is from Germany. She's a part of a group there called Russian Germans. There's about five to six million of this subgroup, of this people group in Germany called Russian Germans. It's too long to tell you the story, but they're a unique group of people, and they're very strong in the Lord. In fact, they have a seminary there that we help support, and I got to teach there last year. God is at work in Germany. Now, you think, you've heard that Europe is over with. It's gone spiritually, that it's a wasteland uh, as far as Christianity. Well, last year I taught at this seminary, and in May of last year, I also went to a preaching conference in German Predigate Conference. And as I preached there, there were almost 1,300 people in this one church house. Oh, by the way, among the Russian-German churches, there are over eight churches that run over 1,000. But in this preaching conference, which was from all preachers from all over Europe, even into a little bit to Asia in the Stan countries, Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan, etc. In that preaching conference, almost 1,300 people were there. 
Oh, by the way, 75% were under 30 years of age. God has got something going on in Europe. He's not done with Europe. He's raising up a group of young preachers who want to win Europe to Christ. So guess what, Dorisville Baptist Church? You help support that. And everything I've just talked about, I could go on for several hours. I won't, I promise. Of great things like that are happening all over this continent and all over the world. And you're a part of that. Now, I call myself, I'm the CEO of the Southern Baptist Convention. I say I'm the chief encouraging officer of the Southern Baptist Convention. And I want to encourage you today with those stories. Because you're a part of that. And when you give in your offering plate, a part of that goes to the cooperative program. And that works all over the world. As almost 50,000 Southern Baptist churches come together. Oh, just a couple of quick facts. Yes, almost 16 million members. Almost 50,000 churches now. That's growing every day, praise God. Planting many in Illinois and all over the United States. Oh, by the way, do you know you're a part of the most ethnically diverse denomination on the North American continent? See, it's one of the best kept secrets I guess we've got. One out of every five Southern Baptist churches is self-identifies as ethnic. We have our 3,000, right now, almost 3,400 predominantly African-American churches that identify as African-American. We've got over 2,000 Hispanic. We've got 2,000 that are just Chinese or Korean. And then 33 other major ethnic groups, Native American, Hispa uh, uh, excuse me, island churches, Russian-speaking churches, deaf churches, uh, Messianic congregations... Arab congregations. Last year in Phoenix, where the convention was, by the way, our Messianic congregation, our Messianic fellowship, joined with the Arab Baptist fellowship, how about that, and had a joint service together and served and had the Lord's Supper together. The Arabs and the Israelis joining together for the cause of Christ. How about that? I thought that was pretty cool. I thought that was pretty cool. Well, anyway, I just wanted to speak those words, both personal and professional to you today, to tell you of some things that are happening. Yes, I live in Tennessee, and I do have a slightly different accent that's already been pointed out to me, but I will exaggerate it for you if you wish so that you can really have something to go home and talk about. That preacher up there that talked like he was from down, way down yonder, I can do that if you wish, but that's not normally the way I talk. Though I have lived in places that talk like that, I'm going to tell you. I grew up in North Carolina, which is not deep, deep, deep south, but far enough. And, uh, but I've lived all over the nation. And uh, uh, Anyway, I want to begin today with a story that's taken from American history. Uh, it's a great story. It speaks to me. It is spoken of in about a time called the Great Depression. Now, uh, there are very few of you that lived in that time, but you've heard about it. A time during the 1930s of terrible economic downturn in this nation. In fact, the majority of people were struggling in that time. Unemployment was at record levels. The stock market crashed. People were hungry. It was awful. It was particularly difficult in the major northern cities where people couldn't or didn't grow food for themselves. New York City was particularly hard hit. So the story takes place 
during that time in that city. A man was caught stealing bread. He was brought before the court. In those days, and still, they had in New York City a thing called the night court system. And they would have court morning, noon, and night. And in one of the night courts uh, times, a, the mayor of New York, who was also a judge and a lawyer, was actually holding court that night. I don't know why. You will recognize his last name, perhaps. His first name was a very common Italian name, Fiorello. His last name, LaGuardia, after whom a major airport was later named. So Fiorello LaGuardia is holding court during the night court in New York City during the Great Depression. A man is brought before his court and the man is charged with stealing. He said, sir, you've been charged with thievery, with robbery. Is it true? Did you do this? The man said, yes, sir, I did. Well, what did you steal? He said, I stole bread. He said, well, why did you steal bread? He said, because my family is hungry. So you admit that you stole? Yes, sir. Well, sir, it's against the law to steal in New York City. And I find you guilty. And I find you $10. That's the fine. But listen to me. He said, I'm not done yet. Bailiff, come up here. He got out of his pocket a $10 bill and gave it to the bailiff. He said, I'm paying the man's fine, but I'm not done yet. He said, I think it's a crime to live in a city where a man has to steal bread to feed his family. So I find everybody in this courtroom, 50 cents each, for living in a city where a man has to steal bread to feed his family. Bailiff, collect the money and then give it all to that man. That man walked out of the court that night not knowing what in the world happened. His fine was paid and he had $40 cash money in his pocket when he left the court that night. Well, there are some strict people who would say, well, strict justice was not done. Well, perhaps not, but I will tell you, as I think on that story, I will tell you mercy was learned in New York City that night. Wouldn't you agree? But as I've thought about that story even more, I think about us where we are. In our 21st century lives, in our 21st century churches, with all the great resources we have, with great staff, with all the good things that we're able to do, what fine do you think God would levy against us for still not getting the job done? We've had hundreds of years to win the world to Christ, but we've not done it. Do you think he would say 50 cents each? No, I don't think so. I think God is going to call us to account. I think we're going to stand before the judge and say, why did you not get it done? Why is Illinois still mostly lost? Why are there children still lost in around here who still do not even know who Christ is? Oh, it's not just Illinois. We had a similar type children's program, by the way, in my last church, my last pastorate in the public schools there. It was a wonderful program. I had a little girl come forward one day. Wanted to join the church, about a 10-year-old girl. 
Dr. Page, I want to join the church. She said, I got saved last week at school in one of those afternoon clubs. Oh, honey, that's wonderful. She said, Dr. Page, nobody ever told me about Jesus. I didn't know that he died or me. I didn't know it. No one ever told me that. But I learned it last week in that after-school club. And I got saved, Dr. Page. And I want to join the church. I want to be baptized. Oh, honey, we can arrange that. Why is it that there's so many children out there and they're not heard? Why is it so many adults never knew? We've not done what God wanted. And I think God has a word for us today. Just a few verses this morning. If you would turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. One of my favorite passages, Revelation chapter 2, just the first five verses. And I know in my normal churches when I speak more than a few times, people laugh at me when I say it's my favorite verse. Do you know why? Because I have a different one every day <laughs> and every Sunday. But I mean it at the time and I do today as well. Revelation 2 is a part, of course, of John the Revelator's message to the churches. A series of messages he shared with various churches in the Asia Minor area, modern-day Turkey, helping them to get ready for the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ. He tells that he is coming back as the triumphant Christ. And he's wanting us to be ready for that return. And he speaks a word to a church in a place called Ephesus. A word that I think is applicable to every church in the 21st century in Illinois and elsewhere. Look with me to Revelation 2 beginning with verse 1. It says, To the angel in the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks, look at this, in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Then he says, I know your works. I know your labor. I know your patience. I know that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they're apostles, but they are not, and found them to be false. I know that you have persevered. Look at verse 3. I know that you have patience. I know you have labored for my name's sake, and you have not become weary. Nevertheless, look at verse 4. I have this against you. You have left your what? Say it out loud. First love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you Repent. We'll stop there. My friends, I believe Christ is calling his church back. He spoke a word to a church in a place called Ephesus. You probably haven't been there. It's on the southwest coast of modern-day Turkey. In this day and time, it was a very important city. Important both Commercially and religiously. I didn't say Christian-wise. I said religiously. It was important commercially. Many roads came uh, together there in Ephesus. It was a place of great wealth. 
and significance. It was also a place of great religious significance because it was even there that they built the Temple of Diana, one of the wonders of the ancient world, a beautiful building of extreme importance. So it was a place of pagan worship and commercial importance. And there God planted a church. There God planted a church. A church that he wanted to be, he called it a light unto Asia and a light unto the nations. It was there that Paul founded the church. It was there that young Timothy later came to minister in that same place. It was also there that John the Revelator, the one whom God used to write this book, it was there he also served. So it it was a church with a great spiritual lineage. And it was to that church, and therefore I believe to us as well, that God issues forth a strong call. So four quick things this morning. First of all, he issues forth a call. He leads the church back to his lordship. Now in the latter part of chapter 1, which we did not read, he also refers to who he is. He tells us who he is in the last part of chapter 1. He said, I am the first and the last. I was dead, but now I am alive. So he refers to himself as the one who has the keys of Hades and of death. So he is the Lord, and he's calling the church back to the lordship of Christ. Notice where he was. Where was he? Look at verse 1. He said, I am walking in the midst. Now, scholars will call that what we call an anthropomorphic expression. What does that mean? God being pictured as walking like a man. I am walking in your midst. So where is he today? He is in the midst. He knows what you're thinking right now. Some of you say, oops. He knows what goes on in the hallways. He knows what's going on in your texting right now. He knows what's going on in your Facebook. He knows what's happening in every part of your life. He knows what's happening in the Sunday school. He knows what's happening in the offices. He knows what's happening and what's not happening here. He knows. He is walking in the midst. He gets it. He understands. He is in the midst of us. Never forget that. Notice what he is doing. He is in the middle of the churches. And we know he reproves. He convicts. He comforts. He does so much. And praise God, he saves. He is walking among the seven churches. And that phraseology, holding the seven stars, seven golden lampstands, referring to the pastors and the churches as we see in chapter 1. But he is doing the work of the Lord. And I believe he is calling his church today back to his lordship. I did not come here today and I will not speak tonight in the Selene Baptist Association to try to make you better Baptists. That's not why God called me to this work. But I am calling you back to the lordship of Jesus Christ. I love Jesus. And I'm not ashamed to say that. I said that to President Trump not long ago. I've said it to President Barack Obama. I've said it to President Bush and Carter and Clinton. The only one I hadn't met is the oldest Bush. And I'd say it to him if I get a chance. I love Jesus. And I am saying to Baptist churches all over the nation, and yes, I speak in other churches as well, 
Jesus wants us to recognize who is the Lord of the church. It's not the pastor. It's not the deacons. It's not a denominational executive. Jesus is the Lord of this church. He is the boss. He is the boss. He is the boss. He is Lord of our church. And he's calling us back to that recognition. We'd have a whole lot less trouble if we recognized who really was in charge of this church. We'd have a whole lot less difficulty. We'd quit wasting God's time dealing with stupid stuff. And yes, I said stupid. If we realize Jesus owns this church. And everything we do ought not be because what we want done. But we want to do what Jesus wants done. He's calling us back to his lordship. Quickly and second, he gives a commendation. A commendation. If you look at verses 2 and following, you'll see he commends the church. Now, in your association here, I'm sure there's always a push for uh, this church, Dorisville, and other churches to submit what we call an ACP, Annual Church Profile. Most churches do, but some don't. Because, you see, we can't make a Baptist church do anything. Just try it sometime. You say, what's it like working with 50,000 churches? Try herding 50,000 cats. And that'll tell you what my work is like. You see, we're a top-down convention. The top is the church. I'm at the very bottom. I've been teasingly called the Baptist Pope. Got a letter the other day from the foreign minister of Kazakhstan wanting me to come as the Baptist Pope. I held that letter and just laughed. I thought, the Baptist Pope. Well, I don't have a Pope mobile. I don't have a ring. I don't wear a dress. I don't do any of that stuff. Sorry, I better shut up before I get in real trouble. But let me just tell you something. <laughs> we ask people to do things, and they can or can't do it. That's their business. But we ask them to fill out what we call an annual church profile. Well, it's kind of a report card. Some of them don't like turning in because we don't want people to see what they're doing or not doing. But I'm just going to tell you, if this church had filled it out, it would have been a good one. They had a lot of stuff going on, kind of like this church. I see you're a very active church as well, and they had a lot of stuff going on. Now, many of our churches are like that. They're so busy. They're so busy. They'll wear you out. In fact, I had one, one church tell a pastor one time, one woman tell a pastor one time, said, I, have to, I couldn't join the Baptist church. I had to go join the Methodist church. My health couldn't stand being a part of the Baptist church. Reminds me of that little poem. Mary had a little lamb. It would have been a sheep. But it joined the Baptist church and died of lack of sleep. <laughs> this church had lots of stuff going on. I mean, look at it real quickly. First of all, they're commended for their labor. I know your works and your labor. Oh, by the way, you say, isn't that redundant? The two Greek words. One means work that is normal. One means labor that comes at a cost. There is church work that's not hard to do. But there's some work that really costs blood, sweat, and tears. This church, were doing, they were doing it all. I know your work. I know your labor. I know your patience. They're commended for their patience. Even though they're in a pagan city, they were living triumphantly. And we know patience is developed through trials. And they had plenty of that. They were committed for their sensitivity to evil. I know you cannot bear those who are evil. 
And that's pretty good in the 21st century. Let me tell you something. A lot of churches just do a wink and a nod at everything and anything. It's okay. We're not going to be intolerant because we don't ever want to be called judgmental, right? So we do a wink and a nod at everything. But Jesus commends the church that's sensitive to evil. There are some things that are right. and some. Now, we're going to be nice to everybody. I promise you. And I am nice to everybody. But sometimes I have to say, you know, some things are right and some things are wrong. Now, you may not like that. Get over it. Some things are right. Some things are wrong. This church was commended for their sensitivity to evil. They were commended for their spiritual discernment. He said, you have found those, you have tested those who claim to be prophets, but you found them to be false. They were spiritually discerning. Again, this is lacking in the 21st century world, but we desperately need it. Men and women, boys and girls who are spiritually discerning. This is not of God. This is. And we need to develop that spiritual sensitivity so that we know this church was that way. They were also commended even more for their endurance. You have endured and you have not grown weary. Scholars debate as to when this was written. They, some, some would say it was written under the reign of Nero. Some say uh, Caligula. Some say Domitian. But either of the three were horribly difficult for Christians, particularly Domitian. He wanted every person in the Roman Empire to get on their knee, to burn incense and say, this is for our Lord God Domitian. And many of the Christians said, no way. And they suffered for it. This church stood strong. And you've not grown weary. You can't grow weary in the work of the Lord, can't you? This church, they were doing so good. They were commended for their determination, their sensitivity, so many things. He said, I've got to say some good things about you. And I wish I could just stop there and say, well, that's all the story, but it's not. For third, there was a condemnation. There was a condemnation. You see, the Bible sometimes goes to meddling in our lives. And he said, I'm going to meddle in your life right now. You see, I have this against you. You have forsaken your first love. You have forsaken your first love. I remember hearing this preached years ago by a man named John Bassanio. And he was preaching about marriage. And I thought, I was a first year seminary student. I knew everything there was to know. And I thought, well, that's just not proper Greek exegesis. This is not talking about marriage. Though as I've lived a little longer, I realize it does apply to marriage. And it does apply to every relationship. You can lose your first love. You can lose the ability to be close. You can lose the intimacy. It can fade away over time, can't it? I don't want to hear any amens from women or men. But please don't point either to your husband or your wife. But you know what I'm saying is true. You can lose that closeness over time. It can happen. Oh, I remember the story years ago out in Texas. There were an old couple had gone to church and heard a sermon on marriage. They were driving back home in the pickup truck. There was a bench seat. The man was driving and the woman was sitting over to the side. And she was not happy. 
And she was just going on and on about what the preacher had said and about how they had moved apart from each other. And she went on and on. And I'm not saying that's typical. <laughs> she said, look at us. Look at us. Said, when we first got married a hundred years ago, said, we always sat together and you couldn't have got a piece of paper between us, but look at us now. The whole seat's between us. The old man had never said a word. And finally she took a breath and he said, Well, honey, I ain't the one that moved. I believe God looks at us and says, Honey, I ain't the one that moved. Come back to me. You can forsake your first love. Now, there are some who say there's no specificity here. We don't know exactly what he's talking about. Oh, yes, we do. The Bible's told us many places. What does the Lord require of you but to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love your neighbor as yourself? We know what he calls for us to do. We know he wants us desperately to be in a love relationship with him. My friend Tom Ellis' wife died just a couple of years ago. Oh, my goodness, he loved his wife, Jeannie. He was president of the International Mission Board. He loved his wife, Jeannie, so much. I was there in the funeral. Made me cry. I cry all the time. I can't help it. I'm a crier. If you think that makes me less of a man, I'll take you out and whip you. But <laughs> probably shouldn't have said that either. But he's up there preaching his wife's funeral. Oh, my goodness, I couldn't do that. I'm too much of a crier. I just bubble the whole time. He said, I love my wife. He said, oh, Frank Page, he's out there, the audience out there. He said, he knows I'd always try to get out of meetings. He did. And I'd always try to go home early because, let me tell you, I wanted to go home to my wife. She had a way of saying goodbye to making a man want to come home. Well, I said, boy, I like that. And I called him not long after she died. How are you doing, Tom? He said, well, every day I ask my love for Jesus to surpass my grief over Jeannie. Whoo! Every day I ask that my love for Jesus surpass my missing of Jeannie. We can lose that first love, can't we? Over time, our relationship with Christ, even though it's there, it can become perfunctory. It can become hollow. We can lose the closeness that we once had. We can lose the intimacy. And God today is saying, I'm not the one that moved. Come on back. There's a condemnation I have this against you. You have left your first love. And quickly and last, there's a command. There's a command. And in verse 5, we see that command. It's a threefold command. The Lord Jesus calls us back and gives us a threefold, threefold command. Remember, repent, do. Remember, repent, do. Remember the heights from which you have fallen. Please ask God to remind you of what it was like when you were first saved. Do you remember? Some of you say, well, I've been saved so long I don't remember. Well, ask Him to help you. That's what Southerners say, help you. 
remember what it was like when you fought when you fought when you were saved that you could touch the face of God and you could you remember the sweetness of that relationship remember the heights from which you have fallen remember what it was like repent oh God I'm so sorry I'm so sorry I moved away from you I'm so sorry that I've let the years make my worship become work and my service become drudgery. I'm sorry. And do the first works. Get back to doing what God called you to do in the first place. How many of you read your Bible every day? Oh, I'll never forget when I was saved. I was saved out of a non-Christian, non-healthy, non-happy home. I was raised in the kind of home where you learn to duck. And when I got saved, all I wanted for Christmas was a Bible. That's all I wanted. We were so poor, we couldn't afford a Bible. So they found one that had been returned to the bookstore because the little boy's name on the front of it in the gold stuff, you know, had been misspelled, and so they had returned it, and that's the only way we could afford a Bible. But I loved it. Little King James Version Bible. I read that thing from cover to cover. And there I saw the words of life. God still speaks to me through his word every day. He did this morning. Are you doing the first works? Are you praying to God? Talking to your best friend? When's the last time you had an intimate conversation with Jesus? Do the first works. Who to whom are you sharing the gospel and with whom are you sharing the gospel? Oh, I'll never forget. Yeah, I was a pastor years ago and we had a revival and back when you did those things. It was actually a crusade, an area-wide crusade and it worked. I believe it still does. And we were, I'll never forget it, a little girl who was our organist's daughter got saved. Her name, Gina. She got saved like on Monday night. Whoa, she was excited. Tuesday night, she brings five of her little girlfriends. She said, Dr. Page, I got saved last night, and they're going to get saved tonight. Well, I looked at them, and they all kind of went. <laughs> Problem was, one of them did not accept Christ that night. And I thought Gina was going to jump on her and beat her half to death. I said, well, honey, I don't think that's what you're supposed to do, but if it works, keep on hitting her. That was a joke. That was a joke. I don't believe in violence to get people saved. Usually. <laughs> but you see what was happening with that little girl? She was just on fire for the Lord. She got saved. She wanted all her friends to know about Christ. Why do we lose that kind of enthusiasm? He issues forth a command. Remember, repent, do. Say it out loud with me. Remember, repent, do. You're not going to forget that, are you? Remember, repent, do. He wants us to love Him. He's calling us back to His Lordship. And He wants a church in Illinois on fire. On fire for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Men and women, boys and girls who remember, repent, and do. Pray with me.
Father God, in Jesus' name, I thank you for this time. I pray, Lord, for this dear church, for Pastor Dwayne and all the staff. I pray for the leaders of this church that, God, this would be a church on fire, a church revived to do your work. Lord, I know that you commend, but also sometimes you condemn. And, God, we don't want to lose our first love. So let us return today to the first love of the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for giving us another chance. Thank you for making your word come alive as was prayed for earlier today. Thank you that you can still do that. God, draw every man, woman, boy, and girl in this place unto you. And I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Pastor Dwayne, would you come and lead the service from this point on as you feel led? God bless you. Amen. If you just go ahead and bow your heads right there just for a moment, please. When I talked to uh, Sharon Robinson, Dr. Page's administrative assistant, and said, is there anything particular he wants to, needs to preach on? And all I said was, well, we love missions at Doorsville. And would you please speak on that area? And what a wonderful job this morning. Calling us back. Remember, repent, and do. If there's ever a time when churches need to be the church, it's these days we live in. You know that. You hear that all the time here. And today God has spoken clearly. Some of us need to remember today. Just like we do in our marital relationships, we, we forget how we won her and we lose her. We forget, forget how we won him and we lose him. And God's calling us to remember. Remember last week? We observed the table together. This do in remembrance of me. Is there something you need to do in your life today and say, God, I forgot you in this area. And today I want to remember. Is there something we need to turn from? Something we need to repent of? Turn away from? Let go of? Something that somehow has slipped between you and God? And no matter what it is, it can even be something as sweet as your family. It can even be your church. Something that's come between you and God. Let it go and turn back to Him. And do. I keep telling Judy, over the last 17, 20 years, the legacy of Dorisville has been doing, giving, and praying about missions. And I told her, I said, we got so many new people in our congregation. It's important that we understand, help them understand who we are and why we do what we do. And today I hope you'll understand that we do what we do because of Jesus Christ. And we want every person to be a part of that. And just, what, next week we'll be receiving our world hunger offerings. We want every member to be a part, every attender to be a part of that. In a few weeks when we do Judgment House, as Brother Brent spoke about, every person be a part of that. Following that will be Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions. Every person being a part, doing our part. So this is our time of decision. And of course, it all begins with relationship with Jesus Christ. Not religion, not joining a church, not doing better. A personal relationship with Jesus Christ. My friend Brent's going to be standing down front. And if you're interested in knowing more about receiving Christ, that cross is on our stage for a reason. 
It reminds us every service that we're about Jesus. So Brimley's coming in. And I say, I love what Dr. Pay said. Don't want to make anybody a Baptist. Don't want to teach you how to make it be a better Baptist. We want to tell you about Jesus and how to follow him. So that's our time of decision. If you're here today and you already know Jesus, ask God to really show in your heart what you need to turn from and what you need to do. God, thank you so much for the privilege of what we've heard today. Thank you for the power of your word. Father, I want to pray that, Holy Spirit, that you'll just, just permeate this place right now. Fill us. Draw us to Christ. Draw us closer to Christ during this time of decision. Father, if there's a friend here today who does not know Jesus, don't let them leave this building without meeting the Savior of the world. Draw us closer. As the need grows greater, draw us closer. Thank you for the privilege of being part of what you're doing in this world. And Jesus, we do pray this in your precious name.